Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Queer Radio. I'm your host, Lunex. So today, I really wanted to talk about what was happening in the news um, regarding abortion laws, some memes that I've been seeing, some stuff that have been really, like, highlighting stuff that I'm just like, you know, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty woke. Uh, It's pretty accurate, um, the memes that I've been following regarding the recent abortion bills that are trying to come into effect very soon. They're not in effect right now, so that means that um, there's still time to stop them and to basically make sure they, they don't go into effect, making sure that people's rights to health care and abortion care um, are safe and protected. Um, I know in a state where I'm living right now, California, um, it's a very progressive state. The bills are progressive and you know, help individuals most of the time, not all the time. There's conservative bubbles and there's conservative counties um, that have been continually trying to get rid of people's rights, specifically people that are marginalized because of their class, their race, their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, or their gender identity, um, as well as their religion and other stuff like that. Um, but I really wanted to talk about like the uh, law, sorry, not the law, the bill that Uh, Alabama just passed. I want to talk about the Georgia bill, um, the heartbeat bill, um, the law, sorry. Um, Sorry if I I say bill or law, you know, I'm not a poli-sci major, so don't come at me. But really, I just want to talk about those and like the context of like the work that I did last month and like lobbying in California specifically to make sure that senators um, and House of Representative members um, you know, Congress people, legislators, to make sure that they protect people that want to have an abortion, not want, but need to have an abortion um, because of what's going on in their life um, or what happened to them. Also, we want to make sure that we can protect um, health care. So that's when we look at sexual health, we want to make sure that people have access to birth control and condoms and screenings and as well as cancer screenings too. I mean, that's excuse me, a part of someone's health, preventative health. So we really want to make sure that we can provide those services. So I just want to provide that lens, that framework, because I do represent Planned Parenthood in some capacity. So I, it's not only my duty, but it's also my right as a human being to like talk about this stuff from like the organization that I follow and that I respect Um, and see what's happening and seeing what people are doing. I know the ACLU and and Planned Parenthood are taking action um, and making sure to fight these bills or laws before they go into effect. Um, I know it's very difficult and it's very hard, but I understand that the country is very divided on whether or not people should have an abortion or should not have abortion. So really when we talk about like abortion and when we talk about people's rights, there's been a lot of memes going around, um, very positive memes, that are talking about abortion. And it's like, you know, do you do you have a uterus? Like, yes or no? That That's like the first thing. It's like, do you, do you have the right to speak on these issues? Like, does this personally affect you? Um, if it doesn't personally affect you, you really don't need, it's none of your business. And then the second one is like, okay, if you do have a uterus, is it your body? And if the answer is no, it is not your body, then no, your opinion does not matter because that person's choice is their choice because that's their body, their choice. Um, And if it is someone who does have a uterus, who um, is worried about pregnancy um, and needing to get an abortion, if they, for themselves, want to get an abortion, that's their right. They can, that's their body, that's their choice. But we cannot dictate what other people do with their body, I mean, with their bodies. And I know that um, recent legislation is trying to impose that. Also, there's a lot of people saying, well, like, uh, people that passed the bill or, or signed the bills were women. And it's just like, those are white women and those are white men that are also signing the bill. So it's like, when you look at the people with the most privilege in our society, we begin to understand like, what is this all about? You know, is this really about abortion? I mean, part of it is yes, but another part of it is just really talking about access. So when we're talking about like these laws and abortion, we're not 
we are talking about abortion, but abortion is the issue. But what is the root cause as to why people are doing this? Why people in power are continually trying to get rid of people's rights and continually trying to police and control and dictate whether or not people can do certain things. So when we look at it, like I saw this post from The Daily Show, somebody was on, and they were saying anti-choice people are not trying to stop abortion. They're trying to legislate who can and cannot have abortions. Because conservative politicians, their wives and mistresses and daughters, are always going to be able to get an abortion somewhere. So basically that's one part of it. You know, people that are passing these laws and these bills, they're still going to find a way around it. They're still going to access you know, abortions for their wives or people that they have sex with and they have to have an abortion because of whatever that legislator needs to do with his life because apparently raising a child is not in their plan. You know, they're not ready to be a parent for whatever reason that may be. So all that does, when we look at those bills, when we look at these bills, it just, um, the criminalization of abortion, um, all it will do is keep people trapped in poverty because now they have to raise this child. Now they have to spend money that they don't have for themselves, for another person as well, um, for generations. You know, they're going to trap these people in poverty. That's the goal. And even if it wasn't the goal, they would spend their time and money on, you know, and if that wasn't the goal, they should really, these politicians should really spend the money to fund comprehensive sexual health um, education, free birth control, and free contraception, contraceptives. Because when we look at preventative health, you know, abortion isn't always the first option. I'm a sexual health educator, so when I go into the classroom, I provide this education to them. This is psychoeducation. This is providing them the information, access to what their rights are and what they can or cannot do with their bodies. Um, and also we talk about birth control. There's a whole lesson on birth control and condoms and STIs and really reducing the stigma of like, these are different birth control methods. These, this is how it works. This is what it can or cannot do. Um, for people that are on these birth control methods, we also talk about you know, emergency contraceptives, and we also talk about abortion very briefly, but we do talk about abortion because we don't want to create a politically charged environment for these students. We want to just provide factually accurate, um, inclusive information for all students that are in the room, and that's one thing. That's the one thing we do. Um, we also have our health centers that provide, you know, free condoms uh, for folks that need them. So, we also provide birth control um, at free or low cost. Um, we are also trying to push, push legislation like the Senate Bill 24 in California that is trying to get abortion care on university campuses. I talked about that bill in my last podcast episode um, back in April. But again, if, if folks are wondering about um, abortion or what California is doing, if you live in California, if you're worried about it, um, check out my last episode um, talking about um, different bills that are trying to get passed. We are trying to increase our budget to $100 million to increase um, health centers across the state um, because we do see that there is a lack of access when we look at different counties in California that are more conservative. I mean, in uh, Los Angeles County, the county that I live in, um, Lancaster has representatives um, that do not believe in abortion. They believe in pro-life, which basically just means that they don't believe in someone's right to choose. Um, they do support measures to pr protect against, you know, rape, sexual assault, domestic violence, child maltreatment, child abuse, um, elder abuse, but they see that there's a limit to what they can or cannot do because of funders or donors or supporters. And although they believe those things for themselves, they also believe, like, if I speak out of turn, then the money's going to disappear. And that's the problem with capitalism, but <laughs> we're really... <laughs> yeah, capitalism. I know. So when we look at Alabama, for instance. Um, so Alabama, the 
bill was passed, uh, was signed by a female um, senator. So that's one thing. She was white. But also 22 Alabama senators who voted against including an exception for rape or incest in the abortion law were men. So that means 26 white men, because that's what they were. They look white. They might be white passing, you know, whatever that may be, Eurocentric, you know, colonial. Um, they basically said they if someone gets, if someone is raped or if someone um, has a child or is pregnant because of incest, or was raped because of incest, because we do understand, um, you know, when you look at rape and sexual assault, eight out, of, eight out of 10 cases are because someone, that person knew that person. So the person that was raped or sexually assaulted, um, the person who raped or sexually assaulted the person, the survivor, was someone they knew. Working in this field, specifically, I've been working in this field for almost three years now, Almost all of the cases that call in or do um, their accompaniments through our center, the person that um, perpetrated on this person, violated their rights and their body, was someone that they knew. Whether that be an acquaintance, whether that be... So sorry, I just had breakfast recently. <laughs> whether that be an acquaintance, whether that be a family member, um, whether that be a spouse or an ex-partner, whether that be someone that they met once or had a dating relationship with. Um, so they knew this person in some capacity. We see that a lot. There are times where the person that did experience a sexual assault or um, experience rape was from a stranger. That does happen. I'm not going to negate that doesn't happen, but it does happen. So I just want to make sure when we talk about these bills, we're really not, we're not just talking about women too, because again, I know a lot of the narrative. I know a lot of media is trying to push this idea of women, 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 which it's true. Women, their rights are being affected. They are being hurt, but we also need to include individuals that don't identify as women, but that might experience the same things. When we look at people um, that can or cannot get pregnant, not all of those people are women. When we look at people accessing abortion, we see that there's a clear distinction that not all of those people are women. When we look at you know birth control and we look at preventative health, not every individual that is accessing these services are women. And I understand that Planned Parenthood is doing their best to dispel the narrative, but also they're, they're again, they're trying to push um, a message to make it the most palatable for everyone. Because at the end of the day, to pass these bills, we need to get a majority vote. And so when we look at how to pass bills, we have to look at what gets cut or what doesn't get talked about. Because if we're too radical, quote-unquote radical, for these you know, conservatives or moderates or liberals, we begin to understand like they only see a worldview that only affects them, themselves, and the people around them. And once you step out of that bubble, they might not understand. They might not support. And I know that tactic is really fucked up. <laughs> um, and I know we're trying our best to dispel that narrative. And I'm doing my best as a sexual health educator and as well as someone who identifies in the community, the LGBT community, to understand that abortion rights is not just for cis, heterosexual, white women. It's for everyone. People in the trans community, people um, who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, non-binary, um, queer, intersex, asexual, because we do understand that there's a fundamental disparity. When we look at LGBT rights, you know, June is coming up, you know, Pride Month is coming up. And I know a lot of people are going to have fun, they're going to party, they're going to drink, but that's not what Pride is all about. Pride is a time to look at what rights we have, look at what rights are being attacked, look at what rights we don't have, look at what rights we need to continue to fight for, to advocate for, just because it passed this year doesn't mean that it's not under attack already. And when we look at other states and we look at other countries, they are trying to get 
basics with LGBT. I mean, um, I think it was Taiwan that recently passed legislation to pass same-sex marriage. And that's great. That's great. That's a narrative that um, America was trying to push for a very long time. And for a lot of people in the community, once they got their right to vote, that was it. That was all their advocacy. They were done. But we do, we understand (laughs) for people that don't just want to get married, (laughs) that's not the only right that we need or the right that we want. Um, We understand that there's more to life than just getting married. There's more to life and rights than just getting married. So I'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast episode, but I really want to get into these bills. Um, so when we look at you know Alabama and Georgia, because those are the ones that have been circulating in the news for a while, um, so let's just, let's just talk about it. So in Georgia, we do know that like the heartbeat bill, once a heartbeat is detected, um, basically, which is like six weeks into a pregnancy, um, doctors cannot perform an abortion. They cannot provide information about an abortion. And if um, a doctor does perform an abortion or if someone does receive an abortion um, in Georgia, um, there is some serious jail time. Even if someone is from Georgia, um, and they go to a different state and they access abortion. Once they come back, they could be charged with murder, um, all of this stuff. And it's really disheartening, no pun intended. Um, but it's really sick and it's really disgusting that people are doing this. And so when we look at legislators, we begin to understand this narrative of abortion and abortion care and abortion rights, it's very stigmatized. A lot of people are very polarized with what abortion is. And if folks are wondering about abortion or if they have questions about abortion, um, they can go to Planned Parenthood's website, so PlannedParenthood.org, or you can go specifically to Planned Parenthood Los Angeles if you live in uh, Los Angeles um, or want to access any of the services um, at any Planned Parenthood in L.A. County. You can go to pp-la.org. But we really look at the conversation, and there's a ton of stigma. I mean, when we look at mental health, you know, May is Mental Health Month. There's still so much stigma uh, for folks, and it's hard for them to access services because of that stigma. So when you look at something like mental health, sorry, I was moving my chain if you've heard that in the recording, but... When you look at mental health and access to mental health, you begin to understand that there is a disparity because of that stigma and access and money. And when we look at class, when we look at identities, we look at the marginalization of it and begin to understand that demand outweighs um, the, the need. Or, sorry, it was the reverse. So like the needs outweigh the demand. So like there's not a high quantity of service providers that can help every individual because there is, you know, wait lists, there's not that many therapists that are, you know, trained in all the different aspects of trauma and so on and so forth. So when we look at abortion, the reason why, like, so many people don't access abortion is because of that stigma of being judged, of being um, called a murderer. And it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to undergo when we're talking about like what does it really mean and so we really go back and talk about this of like is someone ready to be a parent is someone ready um to raise a parent and if their answer is no if they're not ready then they really need to look at how to prevent these things from happening it's not the person's sole responsibility to do that it's not that that one person that oh because I have, because I can get pregnant, or um, it's not my responsibility. It's like no, both people or whoever's engaging in sex um, with that person or those people, it's their responsibility. Every individual that does engage in sex, it's their right to be informed, um, and they need to be informed to not only protect themselves but to protect the people that they're with. And so, being informed is talking about. Um, being a parent, if that is something that they're worried about. Because again, not every individual that has sex is worried about being a parent or getting pregnant or causing a pregnancy. They might be worried about, you know, STIs, or they might be worried about condoms or, you know, so on and so forth. So being informed 
is different for every situation, but it's important to know about all these different things because people might know someone that might need the information or might need the help. And that's why it's also important to when we go into the classroom and we talk to these students, because when we leave, because, you know, we do leave, <laughs> we're only there for, um, you know, seven weeks if it's one class a week or we're there for three or four weeks, depending on if we teach two classes a week, you know, all that stuff. So once we leave, we want to make sure those students know their rights and know how to protect themselves and others. So that way, people at that school, if they have questions or concerns, they can be like, oh, Planned Parenthood came to my class. They, they said this. This is what they said. Um, and if you need help, you can go to Planned Parenthood or, um, yeah, stuff like that. Just I remember I ran into a student um, a couple months ago. I was teaching a class, and that student was in another class that I was teaching at before. And he, they came up to me, and they were like, oh, hey. And I'm like, hey. And I was wearing, like, my fine parent shirt. I had my poster. And the student was like, oh, are you teaching? I was like, oh, I just finished teaching. And then the student was like, you know, thank you so much for coming to my class. This is a middle school, by the way. Because they're like, thank you so much for coming to my class. I, mean, I really appreciate it. Um, thank you for, like, talking about, like, the different condoms and, like, you know, STIs, that was really helpful. And then they're also talking about um, relationships because I didn't teach that lesson, but they were like, it was really cool to talk about like relationships and like healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships. And then I just told him like, thank you so much for being so cool and open about it. I know sometimes it can be overwhelming um, learning about all this stuff for the first time, but I'm glad that you had a positive experience. And if you, or if anyone, you know, has any questions, you can always go to, um, Planned Parenthood's website. There are free resources, videos, um, and different materials that you can read to get, you know, more informed or more clarification on something. If you are confused about any of the lessons and you can also reach out to an educator, uh, at any time. Okay. And that was it. Like, literally, that's the conversation that I had with the student. And they were in middle school. And I. this is why I want to be a middle school teacher, because there's so much um, disbelief. There's so much disbelief and stigma that middle schoolers are too young to to learn about stuff, to learn about different things. And because of what recently passed, I believe in 2016, the Healthy Student Act, um, that's why we are able to push for more comprehensive health care in, uh, not health care, but sexual health education in middle schools and high schools because it is now the law in California that folks in public education need to access these services um, if they need to by providing the information. Basically, they have the right to access this information, um, sexual health information, whether in seventh grade, you know, and on. And it's the up to the school and the school district's responsibility to do that. And if they don't have the capacity in-house, they need to make sure that they partner with organizations that do provide the psychoeducation to students to make sure that their students are informed and they are, um, you know, not performing the law, but are acting within the law. They're not breaking any laws or... Um, limiting anyone's rights. So, I know that was that was literally twenty minutes <laughs> went by, and we barely talked about these bills. Sorry, I can just go on a tangent forever about sexual health. Um, so, when we look at Alabama, we look at Georgia. There's also Ohio and Mississippi. They have passed similar laws. But these bills are expected to face litigation, so they're trying to stop them. So when we look at, you know, Georgia law and the proposed Alabama law, so current state laws in both states outlaw abortion after 20 weeks. So that's already in effect after 20 weeks unless the woman's health is at risk. And then Georgia's new son law would change the time period to six weeks of a pregnancy and again, six weeks is not enough time to determine whether or not someone can know if they're pregnant or understand if they're pregnant. So that's bullshit. 
um, Brian Kemp signs legislation banning abortion once a fetal heartbeat can be detected. So I just wanted to let you know, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. And then we look at Alabama, Governor K. What is this? Um, Ives? I think it's K. Ives. I don't know if I'm pronouncing their name right. Um, so Alabama, Governor K. Ives, ban abortion. All abortions in the state at any stage of the pregnancy unless the mother's physical or mental health is at jeopardy. But when we look at rape or incest, it, there's no specific protections against that. But okay. So in Georgia, um, with Governor Kemp signed in May, it does, include an, it does include an exemption in cases of rape and incest. But again, it requires that the... So this was back in May. Um, it requires that the pregnancy is at 20 weeks or less and an official police report must be filed. But that's all it says, official police report. But we, we look at police reports, a lot of the times rape and sexual assault are not taken seriously. They're not taken on the report most of the time. And we have to fight. We have to advocate for these survivors to make sure that they have rights that can be um, obtained. So... It's really bullshit when we look at like filing a police report because we know there are people in the community that face sexual assault and face domestic violence that can't go to the police because of how they identify or because of who their partner knows. So we have to really look at how to protect survivors that are not just through a criminal justice perspective because we understand that criminal justice and the criminal justice system is not designed for every individual in mind. And we know we we know. I mean, if you're listening to my podcast, you you know me. <laughs> you're woke enough to to listen to this podcast, but you know that criminal justice is not designed for everyone. It's designed for one type of person and one type of person only. And we all know who that person is. So we just need to move on from that, and we need to make sure that criminal justice is for everyone. So making sure <laughs> that we make sure that we eliminate barriers for people when we access criminal justice system and when we need to access our rights we need to make sure that we are not told no because that's fucked up so when we look at like this in alabama there was a there there currently is i should say there is um a protection against sexual assault and rape, but the new bill that passed does not have an exemption on rape or incest. So that's after, you know, six weeks. So that's the new bill. So that's what I'm saying. Like when we look at all of these rights that people have, those rights can be taken away when there's a new bill proposed or when there's a change or a modification to the bill or to the law. So that's why we can't just like stop fighting once we get rights. When, that's why when we look at like pride and like LGBT, we can't just stop fighting if we get marriage, you know, the right to marriage, because we still are facing discrimination when we want to adopt, if that's someone's path, or we still face discrimination in the legal sense, or we still face <sighs> sorry. We still face discrimination when we access jobs or you know, when we want to go to different spaces to eat or to you know, queer-owned businesses or um, housing or, you know, renters or all of this stuff. There's, there's, you know, equal protections, equal access to housing in different areas, but not in every area. So that's why we have to continue fighting. And we can't just stop fighting once something is passed. That's great something is passed, but that can be easily taken away. Because again, new representatives, new bills, new laws. That's why we can never stop fighting for these laws, for these bills. And if there's some laws or bills that are fucked up and taking away people's rights, we need to make sure that those laws and those rights never see the light of day. Because once those bills pass, it changes someone's life and their likelihood to live, that, live the life that they want to live. So, it's a mess. So, when we look at, you know, abortion as a crime, because that's how some states are framing it so there are penalties you know who's liable 
So when we look at breaking abortion law in Georgia, it can be punishable with imprisonment for no more than 10 years. That's like the current stuff. Um, But the newly signed bill gives no indication as to who would be charged with penalties and what, if any, those penalties would be. Um, Some have speculated since the bill would recognize unborn children as natural persons that women who choose abortion or miscarriage, because again, people who choose miscarriage, like really, miscarriage happens sometimes because of, you know, physical stuff or hormonal changes or stress or outside factors, you know, so having that all to like the women's responsibility, it's like, it's not just them that caused, they didn't just cause a pregnancy or they didn't cause a miscarriage. Ugh, what a mess. Um, so we go back to like, who's at fault or the medical provider, um, who could face murder charges, but in terms, you know, we don't know. We don't know about that yet. That's not very clear. Um, But in Alabama, the bill would punish a doctor or abortion provider for performing a procedure with a Class A felony, punishable up to 10 to 99 years in prison. Attempting to perform an abortion would be a Class C felony, punishable by 1 to 10 years in prison. The women seeking an abortion would not face charges under that bill. So they're basically just going after the healthcare providers. And we look at abortion providers because if they're trying to go after abortion providers, then they stop those abortion services altogether. And again, leading down the same path of poverty, criminalization, stigma, violence, domestic violence, um, all this stuff. Ugh, it's just, it's a mess. All of this is a mess. And so there are... Um, you know, different policies, different organizations that are fighting to protect people's rights. So Planned Parenthood, for sure. We are across the nation and we are also helping folks internationally access different healthcare services. So if folks are wanting to fight the good fight and they want to protect people's rights, I would definitely go um, and volunteer and donate money um, or start joining like a advocacy project or, you know, start going door to door or start getting signatures or start making phone calls or start going to community meetings or start hosting community meetings, community forums and talking about this stuff in an open and honest way, in a public way to start talking about the stigma, to start breaking down the stigma. Um, so if folks want to give back they can, you know, go to their closest um, Planned Parenthood or to a trauma center that helps survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence, or different nonprofit organizations that provide psychoeducation when it comes to sexual health services um, or abortion services. Um, so it's like the just just different organizations. Um, like healthy teens. Um, there's a bunch. There's a bunch of national organizations. You can also um, call RAIN, um, the Rape Incest National Network, and get connected with a local advocacy group um, that is protecting folks against sexual violence or sexual assault um, in your area and see what community organizations or nonprofit organizations that they partner with, um, or if they have a prevention education department that talks about you know, sexual health care, sexual health care services, as well as abortion, um, or teaming up with a local hospital. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these places, a lot of these organizations are designed to help people. And so there's different advocacy projects and different advocacy groups that people can join um, in and around their state. So another story that I want to talk about, um, it's relating to just underaged um, people being pressured to solicit photos or videos um, by an overage person, you know, over the age of 18. So a YouTuber, Austin Jones, was sentenced to 10 years in prison for soliciting explicit videos from underage fans. So YouTube suspended Jones's channel earlier this year. So a judge just sentenced the former YouTuber to 10 years after he pleaded guilty to one count of child pornography. So he's basically asking, you know, his fans for explicit photos. They were underage. 
So, so I guess Jones had a music career beginning in 2007. He rose to fame on YouTube with his covers. 2015 reports surfaced that he contacted underage girls to send them videos. He admitted to the accusations in a video on his channel saying he was embarrassed but denied he solicited explicit photos from fans. He was arrested in 2017 um, because he was soliciting. And then... He admit to using Facebook and iMessage to lure and to gain access to these girls and encourage them to send pornographic videos. Um, yeah, while the time, like, YouTube didn't demonetize his account and they didn't initially remove his account following his guilty plea, saying that his, his channel doesn't violate its terms of service, um, they act they quickly changed their mind when people started voicing their concerns about it and they took down the channel. Um, so he'll spend up to a decade in prison. Uh, Homeland Security agents said that Austin Jones represents a major step towards justice for young victims who have been manipulated or exploited. And so the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because it really connects what's happening um, in YouTube right now. There's a lot of YouTubers that feel that they're celebrities. And we understand, um, as people in the community or people that work with sexual assault survivors or sexual harassment survivors or rape survivors or domestic violence survivors, we know that if someone is a celebrity, it's harder to battle them. It's harder to come out and tell your story. It's harder to talk about these things because they are celebrities. So many people look up to them. So many people respect them and so many people admire them. And we understand how hard it is. And so when we look at the instances with James Charles, when we look at, um, there was another YouTuber back in the day, their name was, uh, I think their last name was Carter, or their first name was Carter, and he was forcing someone to have oral sex with him um, without her consent. Uh, when we look at, you know, rice gum, when we look at those prank videos that were going on in, like, 2016, 2017 area, era of YouTube, like, forcing people to make out with strangers or, you know, all, all this disgusting shit. And it's really creating a culture within... YouTubers that they feel like they can get away with anything. And it's not right. It's not right at all. No matter who you are, no matter, you know, how much money you have, no matter how much like fame or success or whatever, that does not give you the right to harass people, assault people, hurt people in any way, shape or form. And for a lot of these celebrities, they think that they're gods. They think that they are untouchable because of who they are and what they do. But we know that, you know, there's this whole cancel culture now that once someone fucks up, they're done. Their career's over. People, you know, hate them. They start harassing them too. And, um, you know, I'm not here to talk about like harassing other people. Like, we don't want to harass people. We understand that. But there are some people that go to extremes. Um, you know, they lose everything. We look at the James Charles and Tati Westbrook situation. You know, James Charles lost like 3 million subscribers. He has since gained some subscribers back. He's at 14 million subscribers um, because Tati Westbrook was talking about allegations. And when we look at that whole situation, you know, James Charles was quoted like, I'm a celebrity. I can do whatever I want. I can, you know, pressure people to have sex with me or to engage in sexual behaviors with me, whether that be making out or anything of that nature, you know, flirting, cuddling, holding hands, kissing, um, engaging in any type of sex, penetrative or not. Um, we begin to look at like predatory behavior and we look at the same thing that we're talking about with abortion and we look at other services like access if these people are millionaires, if they have millions of fans, they have access to so many people, they can, they can host a meet and greet and they can meet thousands of people in a given day. They can host a, you know, live stream and they can talk to thousands of people and they can have um, people DM them or tweet them and they can, you know, send a direct message to them and nobody would know 
other than those two people. And if one person takes a screenshot and posts it or hacks into their account in any way, shape or form. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because this isn't anything new. I mean, this article was recently posted, but these allegations were back in 2015. It's 2019 now from when I'm recording this. So that's four years later. And I know the legal process is very slow, you know, litigations and um, postponing stuff and to, for future hearings and um, inconclusive evidence and people still have to review the case and all this stuff. So it's like, this isn't going to go away unless we talk about it. And I'm so sick and I'm so tired of people thinking that they can get away with all this shit because they're celebrities. Like, that's why, like, it's such a dangerous game we play and it's really not worth it. And I really hate how people are, like, supporting these celebrities and these predators because of, oh, who they are. They're really good at their job. Or I remember when the whole Tiger Woods thing was happening, people were like, but he's a really good golfer and I'm going to respect him and I want to watch him play golf. It's like, you cannot separate the person's art or their job or their profession from who they are as a person. You're basically allowing that to happen. You're excusing their behavior and you're saying, oh, they did a bad thing, but I'm still going to support them. I'm still going to help them make money. I'm still going to show up for them. No, they need to hold themselves accountable. And once they really really go through that process of holding themselves accountable, apologizing, and making sure that they educate themselves and the people around them and they work to be a better person, if and only then, then those people who have been personally hurt or have been personally harassed, victimized, or abused by any of those people, if those people want to forgive that person, that is their choice. If they don't want to forgive that person, they don't have to forgive that person. And it is not the people outside of that bubble to forgive. When we look at the whole, like, you know, with um, Kevin Hart and Ellen DeGeneres, when we look at when Kevin Kevin Hart was like, oh, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want my kid to be gay, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be a faggot, all this shit. And when Ellen had him on his show, and Ellen was like, I'm sorry, I, I forgive you. It's like, you are not the person who has any right to forgive Kevin Hart. You were not personally hurt or victimized by Kevin Hart in any way, shape, or form. You might be in the community, but you don't speak for the community. And the community that he was specifically talking about was young black men that identify as gay or, you know, queer or trans or any way, shape, or form the LGBT community, how they experience discrimination, how they experience harassment from their community or their family because they're seen as less than or less masculine or they will be seen as weak or inferior. And that's the people who needed to have a conversation with Kevin Hart. Those are the people, not Ellen DeGeneres. So the reason why I bring this up in my podcast and the reason why I talk about it is because like, we need to do better as a society to understand that like, you do not need to be the voice or the person that goes and talks about this stuff if you don't experience that form of discrimination or harassment from that person or from people like those people. I mean, that's why when we have social media campaigns or, you know, Me Too movements or when we look at Mental Health Awareness Month or Pride Month, we want to make sure people in the community are speaking for the community. We want to make sure that there's allies and we want to make sure allies are present and are helping us and supporting us and supporting people around them. Um, and holding people accountable, that's great, but we want to make sure that allies aren't overstepping. They aren't speaking for us, they aren't talking for us, or they're not oversharing. They're not taking too much space up. And so that's why like, when people like Ellen or people like allies, they need to take a step back. They need to take a step back and realize how much power they have in the space, and they need to allow other people that have historically not have, not ha- not, not have had a ton of power in society an opportunity to talk, an opportunity to speak um, and voice their opinion and their concern. So that's why I want to bring it up. Um, And I also want to bring up another article that I saw. So this was posted um, on the 7th of May, so about a week and a half ago. Apparently, um, two people died in... um, a neighborhood. Sorry, I like didn't read this article. I should have read it, but I was like, you know, I'm just gonna read it live to get a, a live reaction. Um, so, oh, what state is that? Hello, I think that's Georgia as well. Hold on, 
I'm like, what is G? I think G-A. What is G? I think it's Georgia. It is Georgia. Okay. I love it. I'm not very good at states. Um, I don't know states' capitals. Um, I know Sacramento is the capital of California. <laughs> um, I think Dallas is the capital of Texas. Yeah. Just doing all this good work. Um, so I guess two women were murdered in a county in Georgia. Um, and they were sex workers. And I guess that prostitution, that's what they call it in this article. I don't call it prostitution, but they're saying, like, there's prostitution in this neighborhood. Um, So one happened in 2017, and I guess that there is a second one that happened a few months ago, and a man is charged with the murder, um, with the recent murder. And they're basically saying... I guess that it happens a lot. There's a lot of solicitation going on um, at at gas stations and other spaces that people frequent in public spaces. And they're saying that there has been an increase. So um, I guess there's just a lot of complaints and a lot of stuff talking about prostitution, but it's like, bruh, bruh, let's stop criminalizing sex work. Let's stop looking at like, oh, because they put themselves, quote unquote, in those situations, they have, they deserve to get murdered because that's fucked up and no one deserves to get murdered. Okay. Sex work is work and places like Georgia or in California, there has been movements trying to help survivors. At, at my agency, we help human trafficking, excuse me, we help human trafficking survivors and sex workers, you know, regroup sorry, regain their autonomy um, and help them on the path of healing, whatever that looks like, whether they want to continue the work that they're doing um, or get out of the work and find a new job, find a new form of employment. And so we need to stop criminalizing. Like This article, the reason why I brought it up is because it doesn't talk about rights because there are little to no rights um, when we talk about sex work, that's why we really need to we need to legalize sex work. Um, we need to de- decriminalize sex work. We it's such bullshit that I just read an article about two people getting murdered, and they didn't even care that these people got murdered. They said they basically decided like, oh, they're sex workers. Oh, they got murdered because they're sex workers. We don't care about them. Their lives don't matter. And it's like no. Their lives do matter. They are people. You know, back in 2016, I wrote um, a research paper talking about sex workers in Brazil and talking about how in Brazil there's there's no rights for people that are trans. And those people that are trans, the only line of work that they can go into is sex work because they will not find a job. If they disclose that they are trans in any way, shape, or form, they will be fired. They have no protections. There's no legal protections. There's no um, protections against criminalization. And when we look at the people that got murdered in Brazil, which are still happening, they have the highest amounts of murders. I mean, back in 2016, there was 329 people that were murdered. They were trans. This was on record. So these were reported murders. That's a high number, 300 people. That's reported. So we have to look at the underreported or not reported murders. That means that there could be thousands of people that were murdered because they were trans, but we don't know about them because it wasn't reported. Um, or because they were they were murdered and they were trans, but they weren't out trans. Or they, there was no quote-unquote marker to determine whether or not they were trans, you know, determine their transness. Um, and that's why, like, if they were trans or not, but it's like, it goes back to like, these people are human beings and I don't want, this is why I left journalism. This is really why I left journalism because a lot of the good journalists out there, they're underpaid. They're few and far between. And you're going to have to go through a whole career of bullshit and writing shit that you don't care about or writing shit the way you don't want to write it, but because your editor and your um, editor-in-chief wants you to write it this way, you have to write it this way. I don't want to give myself up. I mean, I remember I had a meeting with one of my old professors in the journalism department. I I love her, and she was a big advocate for me um, in the program, and she helped me um, produce a show talking about um, DACA students, um, LGBT DACA students specifically, um, talking about their rights, and we had an 
we had a lawyer, um, and we had a community activist talk about DACA, and we talked about LGBT and discrimination, and we talked about, um, you know, the president back back then talking about DACA. I mean, we're still talking about DACA, but when it was in the news, we pushed hard on that show, and it was one of the best shows that was ever produced on On Point, um, which was the 30-minute, basically, talk show um, at my university, and I put on a show. I was a moderator because, again, in the community. Um, and I was basically the face, and I had makeup. I probably didn't do my makeup that well that day, but it was very simple makeup. Um, I had foundation. Probably didn't match my skin. Actually, no, actually, the lights the, the lights washed it out. I think I matched my skin tone. I think it was a good match. Um, <laughs> but when we look at all this stuff, like, that's why I left, um, the industry because it's all that bullshit. And, and she told me, my professor told me like a lot of these, um, news stations that are local, they're Republican. That means that you're not going to talk about LGBT. You're, you might not be out as much as you want to be. Um, you might not be able to write the stories you want to write about and you kind of have to sit through it. That's why I left journalism. Like I just didn't, it wasn't a place for me. It wasn't a place for my identity. Um, for it to grow and to blossom. I know that there's, you know, LGBT inclusive newspapers or TV stations or publications and stuff like that. There's few and far between, but I realized that my advocacy was farther, you know, went farther than just a blog post or just an article or just whether that be in print or in digital. I wanted to go further. I wanted to to go in those communities. I wanted to make a difference. And that's why for me, being a teacher and being, um, you know, a principal and hopefully a superintendent, um, the reason why I want to do all these things is because I want to help people in the communities that they're in. I don't want the inaccessibility of news and the inaccessibility of reading news articles to determine whether or not can someone can know the information or access the information because we know that their news is very elitist. We know that publications, there's paywalls now to pay for these services and subscriptions. And that's basically saying like, oh, you're poor. You don't have the right to access this information. Oh, you don't have a computer. You don't have a phone. Oh, you don't have the right to access this information online. Oh, you don't have this. You don't have that. Oh, sorry. And it's just keeping people trapped, keeping people trapped in poverty. People keeping information from people. So that's why there's like community organizations, nonprofit agencies, school-based models that are providing free information and info sessions to people in the community that are free of charge so that they, that way they can access these services without a paywall. They can access these services without having to have internet access or a phone um, or have access to pay for a monthly subscription to a newspaper Um because there's there's privilege in that. There's privilege in all of these things. When we look at Netflix, when we look at Spotify, when we look at HelloFresh, when we look at all of these subscription boxes, you know, FabFitFun, when we look at BoxyCharm, there's 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 an inaccessibility. And yes, they're, they're trying to make it as accessible as possible, but you still need to have the capital every month to pay for these services. And not everyone has this. People barely have enough money to feed themselves or their families. People have barely have enough money to access health care if they have to go to the doctor or, you know, if they have to do an oil change or if they have to fix their car, the accessibility of having a car. Um, we look at public transportation. When we look at all these things, that's why a lot of these services need to be free or no cost or free or low cost. We need to make sure that these services are accessible for every individual, um, and that's, in, that's being mindful of language, too. We need to make sure that all of our services are not just in English. We need to make sure our services are not just for people that are hearing. We need to make sure that we are um, communicating and voicing, not the correct word there, but you know what I mean, sorry, excuse me, um, helping folks in the deaf and hard of hearing community access services. So that's why for folks that, or folks that are blind or other impairments, or when we look at 
um, any other disabilities, whether that's mental, physical, um, or cognitive, um, or any learning disabilities. When we look at, you know, dyslexia, or when we look at ADHD, like for myself, I, I have dyslexia, so um, I've been working on it like for a few years now, and I've been getting better, but that's why like I couldn't really learn that well, because I didn't know that's what was going on. I didn't know that that's why I didn't read as well as the other kids, or I didn't know how to pronounce things as well. Um, and I didn't know that that was the reason why I couldn't spell as well as other people. Um, and on top of that, like also I didn't learn English my first few years of living here. Like I learned Spanish, so I didn't really have that foundation to begin with. So not really talking about me, but talking about access. So that's why it's just really important to have access and to talk about these things and to really go into depth um, about these services. And so I really want to talk about, too, um, some recent legislation that was passed for the LGBT community. Um, and I really just want to end on, like, the LGBT community and, like, life updates that I have that I'm thinking about. And so here I found that... Um, of course, I deleted it somehow from my um, Instagram save folder. Anyway, let me just pull it up real quick. Um, so the House of Representatives have passed the Equality Act. Um, and it's the first time in history that a chamber of Congress has approved a civil rights legislation that provides clear and comprehensive protections for LGBTQ plus people. This bill bans discrimination on the basis of gender identity, sexual orientation, and employment, housing, public accommodations, public education, federal funding, credit, and jury system, and the jury system. 50 years, you know, after Stonewall, this moment represents decades of advocacy and fighting for true equality for LGBTQIA plus people. True equality. So that's what I meant earlier when it's like we can't just stop at legalizing marriage. We have to go further. We have to go farther than just, you know, thinking about inclusion from a marriage perspective because that's very, you know hetero, patriarchal, colonial, you know, way of thinking. And so when we look at the Equality Act that was just passed, we have to look at the reason why people are doing it. We look at why this bill was passed. We look at all of these things. And so it's really amazing um, how that stuff like this is happening, that equality, this Equality Act is being passed. So I'm going to pull up a news article that will talk a little bit more in depth of like what it means, what like these protections specifically state. Um, so let me just read it from the New York Times before the paywall comes up. Um, so this bill passed 236 to 173. That means 173 people said no. Um, all right. Yikes. Um, so again, it's like access to, you know, military or formally rejected complaints that filed. Um, we also look at, you know, bathroom stuff for gender identity. Just looking at like what this amends. So like, oh, protections in businesses, hospitals, welfare services. So like child welfare and other welfare, like social services, um, that individuals cannot be denied access to locker rooms or dress rooms on the same basis. Um, safety for women and girls and also like trans folks and queer folks, um, folks that I don't identify on the binary. Um, just reading through the article right now. While affirming um, their drafting concerns that the bill... 
They want to make sure that the bill um, teaches affirming sexual education that is inclusive of gender identity. So Planned Parenthood is already doing that. They're partnering with GLSEN, which is like the national organization to help individuals um, through education to provide, you know, materials to talk about gender identity, sexual orientation, when we talk about sexual health or other healthcare services or other civil rights services, um, I guess some politicians are saying that it harms children or it, you know, sets back civil rights or whatever, like, ugh, like it doesn't harm children. It's just including their rights. And also they're talking about like hormones for like teenagers and saying that like, we don't want to harm them or, you know, we want to make sure that they're doing the right thing or the safe thing. And there's whole, there's even like litigations about like accessing hormones and there, there's still like an uphill battle with that. So I'm not even going to get into all of that right now, but it's just, you know, a bill that is trying their best within the framework that they're working in, because we know that the public healthcare and we look at like, you know, public policy bills are great. But when we look at implementation of bills and we look at how many times bills are being violated, it really goes back to like, are these bills effective? So we need to, bills are one thing, but we also need to change the culture and the education system and, you know, public um, mindset and stigma surrounding these things. So we just need to do better all of the time, not just through legislation. Like passing policy is great. Passing these bills are great. But we also need to do work holistically that are going to support these legislative um, movements to make sure that they are impactful and they actually make a difference and they actually protect LGBT people, specifically queer trans people of color um, in communities that are underserved and underutilized um, and underrepresented. So we just need to make sure that we are inclusive of them and not just inclusive of white gay men, heterosexual, not heterosexual, but well, you know what I mean. <laughs> the the gays that are the heterosexuals of the gays. <laughs> um, so like cis heterosexual men. Um so that was my episode. I know it was pretty long. I know I had a lot to say. Um, for me and like life updates, I'm still trying to plan my trip to New York. I'm going to be speaking um, in New York to New York Police Department. So I'm going to be speaking at their headquarters. And I'm specifically going to be talking about intimate partner violence in the LGBT community and how police officers can protect them, how they can service them, and what they need to do to make sure that they are culturally competent and affirming um, when working with this population. So that's exciting. That's happening in October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I'm speaking at their domestic violence conference held at um, NYPD headquarters. So that's amazing. So I'm still um, communicating and talking with the detective that reached out to me. Um, they saw me speak at another conference and they want me to speak at their conference. So they're going to, you know, provide like the housing, transportation, um, through reimbursements most likely, but we don't know. So I still need to finalize that with them. So that's really exciting. Um, June is pride month. So I'm going to try to go to as much pride stuff as possible. I wanted to go to Long Beach pride today, but I just wasn't feeling it. I was kind of feeling under the weather, Oh, but I just genuinely didn't want to drive and just like accessibility and like gas and paying for gas. Like I spent a lot of gas money this month because, you know, it's like $4. So it's pretty expensive. So I just need to be mindful with my my spending habits. And so I just made a decision like, hey, I don't think it's accessible for me to go. But I'm there in solidarity. So I'm excited for um, other stuff. So if you enjoyed the podcast, um, Please, you know, write a review on Apple Podcasts um, if you use that service. Um, if you like the show, please tell other folks that might like the show as well. I really want to make sure that um, I'm doing this show for people in the community, for people that like the episodes and all that stuff. So please just tell your friends about Queer Radio. Um, just talk about it. Just talk about, like, all that stuff. If you know people that want to be... Um, a guest on the show, or if you want a guest host on the show and talk about topics that are important to you in the community or what you're noticing, like just reach out to me. Um, 
You can use like Anchor. Anchor is a great app. I talked about why I really like Anchor um, and what you can do with Anchor. You can send me messages if you have feedback or if you want to have questions answered on the show. Um, Yeah, and just continue to listen and to come back. I know I want to make a visual component of this to make it more accessible for folks and the deaf or hard of hearing community, but I just need to have the capital and I need to have the time and the support financially to do that because I don't really have the means to do that. So podcasting is more accessible for me um, and it's easier for me to talk about these things and it requires less editing and stuff like that. So Um, Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, again, subscribe, rate the show on Apple Podcast, as well as follow the show on Instagram at Queer Radio Pod. Um, On Instagram, I have a side Instagram. You can follow me on my main Instagram, Lunex Trigato, all one word. Um, I post a lot of my story um, that's talking about stuff in the news or stuff that's current. I'll post stuff here and there on my main Instagram, but I really post on my side Instagram most of the time when it's just like random things that I noticed just because like my main Instagram is really just for me. It's like private information, but I really do love sharing it. Um, It's just, I take more time with it and that's okay. That's my right. So thank you so much for listening. I hope y'all have a great and safe day and wherever you are in the world, just be safe, be kind to one another and spread peace and positivity. Okay, bye for now.